It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, hurrah, boys, hurrah, down with the traitor. Welcome back to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only at K News FM 98.5. If you just tuned in, I'm your host, Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I help protect families and their real estate in their estate plans. I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases now since 1978, and it has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws and city ordinances and I've been honored to repeatedly serve as Superior Court Special Master. Here on Slow County Public Policy and the Law, you will hear from office holders, lawyers, and activists. Last week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Chief and Assistant Chief Slow County Probation Officers Robert Reyes and Tom Milder, and they told us about the Probation Office's Juvenile and Adult Services. And then we also had Kathy Stickle come on, and she told us about her 18 months rescuing children from combat areas and delivering weapons to soldiers in Ukraine. If you missed last week's show, log into the podcast of the interviews at knews985.com. That's K-N-E-W-S-985.com. In our second hour, it is a real treat to have in studio lawyer Dan Knight, who's going to talk to us about construction defects and the legal remedies you can use to fix those defects. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, Stu. I appreciate you having me here today. Well, it's good to have you on. I, I've, uh, I've only known you for a decade or two. <laughs> um, and, and my impression is that you got started in the construction business. Uh, yes, sir. I... Uh Grew up in San Luis Obispo County. Uh, for those of those people that have been here a while, the old General Hospital uh, was born there, uh, raised in San Luis Obispo County, various various cities throughout, unincorporated and incorporated, and uh, grew up in a construction family. I'm a second-generation uh, general contractor, ended up doing that uh, through my late elementary years, junior high and high school years with my father's business and then uh, eventually went out on my own as a general building and general engineering contractor starting in 2006. Now what, you know, it's uh, what I've noticed over the uh, decades that I've been practicing law is that a lot of people get into the field of law from very different perspectives, which is a good thing. Um, and uh, what, what was it that caused you to jump from uh, building contracting into studying law and passing the bar and uh, now practicing law? I can specifically remember the instance. Uh, I was building. It was about, say, 110 degrees outside. Uh Uh, My back hurt. And I just happened to get a a phone call from a friend of mine, Uh, Gary Reed he said you know I think you'd be a good lawyer and I was just frustrated enough 
being that uncomfortable and that sore uh, that I applied for law school uh, or started going back and doing the remedial classes and so forth to become eligible for law school within the next week. Um, it was a moment of frustration. I can picture it as clear as day and uh, started down the journey of, of going towards law, and it took about seven years to get there. Well, good for you. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine told me that when the back gives out, the brain kicks in. Exactly. So. Yeah, my, my father always told me that uh, I either needed to be managing projects or out of the trades by 35, and I took that seriously because he had a lot of experience watching uh, younger people become prematurely old because uh, they didn't uh, they didn't do the necessary work to become you know four persons or, or owners or that sort of thing to where they didn't have to be carrying heavy rocks every day and really appreciate that advice from him. Well, good, good. Well, now at this point you have a uh, practice that uh, is actually located on the corner of. Higuera Street and uh, Johnson, don't you? I do. So we've got a, uh, a location in uh, San Luis Obispo County. It is what we say in jest is our global headquarters. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, we have an office. Uh, right now we have a total of uh, seven employees, including myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, we also have an office on Maui, safe from the fires, totally uh, good there. Um, and uh, we also have one in Austin, Texas. So are you admitted in uh, more than one state? I am. Yes, sir. I, so I initially passed in uh, California. And then a funny story, uh, my wife and I took a vacation to, to Hawaii. And I had uh, never really seen her in the ocean because she's not a cold water person. And we got to some warm water and she loved it. And I thought we need to spend more time here. And then I ended up uh, opening a practice there after taking the bar and uh, finding out that there is uh, a need uh, for mainlanders to come in and when there's a conflict between family members or that sort of thing to kind of mediate those. And so it's nice. We're able to go over there and visit and uh, help the people there too without uh, extracting too many resources. Well, good, good. How'd you end up in Texas? I just really like Texas. <laughs> I, uh, what I, what I've kind of been the personality my whole life that mm-hmm. if somebody says... Uh, you can't do it. Nobody does that. I just want to do it to prove it. And then I fell in love with uh, the culture there. It's very, very similar to San Luis Obispo County. It's a bunch of different people, a bunch of, um, I, th- I feel like good hearted people. I tend to, to go from place to place and, and just find good people. I don't, I've had a lot of good experiences with a lot of different people from different states and really appreciate the three that I'm in especially. Oh, good. Well, yeah. Now, at this point in time, you're practicing law, but uh, your your area of law is generally fairly broad, but I think a lot of it has to do with construction and construction defects and permitting of construction, those kinds of issues. Is that right? It, it is. Um, I figure with my my construction background, um, I can give a lot of context to the law uh, that perhaps other people wouldn't be able to do. That's not to say there's not other great people around, but I think being able to explain to a homeowner that's mad at their contractor what's going through the contractor's head, and then on the other side, being able to talk to the, the contractor and explain to him, you know what, I was in your shoes. I got named in lawsuits where I literally did nothing wrong and I just had to to pay the nuisance value to get out of them. And it's because the Code of Civil Procedure makes you file all your claims at one time. It's not, 
you know, anybody, the homeowner might not even know that you're in this case, but this is the system. Here's how we're going to handle it for you. And a lot of times we're able to avoid disputes by explaining the, the various pros and cons to both sides. So I think it's the the construction specifically, though, we'll, we'll litigate just about anything, but I'll, I'll tell everybody, avoid litigation if you can. And that's good advice. The, uh, th- there are certain uh, hoops that people have to jump through. Uh, obviously, a contractor, if they want to make sure they get paid, they may want to make sure there's a, a lien against the property, a mechanics lien who, that's set down and recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what are the kinds of construction defects, though, that you've run into uh, where either uh, claims are made and settled or litigation actually occurs? Sure. Yeah, with, with contractors, I tend to... Most contractors I know, at least, went into the trades because they wanted to build things. They didn't get into it to, to do the paperwork has been my experience. Mm-hmm. So... Um, going to contractors, reminding them that they need to file these things called preliminary lien notices in order to to maintain their lien rights. And then a surprising amount of what I talk to contractors about that haven't yet, yet gotten into a, a dispute is, how here's how you prevent getting into a dispute. And I spend a lot of times telling them you need to communicate with people. More often than not, solid communication will prevent the dispute. Um, when it comes to, to homeowners coming in. You mean like a change order, uh, making sure that you explain it to them and that it's in writing and that people sign off on it? Or are there other things that uh, you're talking about? Well, I, I think change orders, you know, f- formalizing the agreement. Uh, but I see over and over things get off the rails when the homeowner starts asking Where's my project at? What's going on? Why is it taking so long? And uh, personally and with other people, I tell them, you have a, a computer in your pocket that you know, is more than what sent the astronauts to the moon <laughs> worth of memory. Mm-hmm. You're, you're telling me you can't send a 30-second text, hey, roofing materials or, or lumber is delayed. We'll be there tomorrow. And having that line of communication because it sets the context of they know what their the homeowners know what to expect. So when they get that change order, it's not a surprise. And send the change order before you've done the work. That way, the homeowner can agree to it. It happens all the time where contractor will get a verbal think that the homeowner understands they're both talking about two separate things and then this big change order comes in and the homeowner doesn't want to pay it because they thought we were talking about X and contractor thought it was about Y. So the quality of the communications oftentimes prevents the dispute completely and makes the change order process that much easier. Sure, sure. And, and you know, um, certainly I found this with in the field of law. If you communicate with your clients and they know what you're doing and why you're doing it, uh, they tend to appreciate the lawyer, whereas if it's all a surprise and it's all black magic that uh, no one under- can understand, uh, well, you know, if a problem arises, well, suddenly the lawyer's not that good. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the, the, the thing to remember is a, a contractor, 
having a contractor's license, at least my opinion, they have the same thing as a law degree. It's a vocational degree that I have to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. They have a vocational license. They got the same amount of experience time through their apprenticeship, through doing their journey person time. They need to act as the professional. They are the person that's translating the complicated to the simple for the client. They're doing the same job an attorney would do, taking the Latin word saying, you have to file this by Tuesday. Contractor needs to say, here's how we take you know, materials from Hayward Lumber and we're going to make something that you can eventually have dinner in. And getting them to understand that responsibility prevents a lot of the problems. I bet that's right. The, uh, the And... Do you find that uh, in the building contracting field that uh, contractors turn to lawyers to make sure that the contracts they're presenting to clients are not only uh, enforceable but understandable by the by the customer? Generally, after there's a problem is when a lot of contractors bring them to me and say, our contract is good, right? Mm -hmm. um, there are several that I deal with on a regular basis that will bring, will come in before there's a dispute and mm -hmm. ask for the help. And it's always cheaper than getting into the dispute. Uh, I have several that will have me do yearly contract reviews. And uh, um, but at the same time, I'm cognizant that it's expensive to have a lawyer. So there's a lot of these associations like associated general contractors, that sort of thing that have standard form contracts that I'll steer them to. So they don't have to spend $10,000 on a contract. They can go get something they paid $200 for because more often than not having, having a contract that has most of what you want is way better than having no contract at all. And so will they use it is the next question. If I give them a contract that they're not going to use, it doesn't do any, do any good for anybody. Yeah. Well, uh, we've we've all seen that. Mm -hmm. um, what about the insurance and bonding companies? I mean, how do they factor into uh, these issues when there's a dispute between a contractor and a homeowner or a building owner that well that's commissioned the building of the owner of of the building? Sure. So so I think the bonding. Every contractor in California has to carry a license bond, and it's meant to protect those clients that have low-value claims. Now, you tell me $27,500 is a low-value claim, but when you're paying legal fees, that gets eaten up very quickly. So it's an opportunity for a homeowner to make a claim against a contractor's bond when it might not necessarily be worth taking it to court because $27,500, if there's no attorney's fees, gets eaten up pretty darn quick. So oftentimes, homeowners will decide to make a claim on a bond. Again, it seems like I'm always trying to talk myself out of a job, but you don't need a lawyer to do that oftentimes. And so when you actually see the money you get versus the money you spent, we're always trying to, to net the homeowner more money. We want more money in the client's pocket rather than going to lawyer fees because litigation's unfortunately good at making a lot of lawyers a lot of money. How do we keep out of litigation? How do we keep money in the homeowner's pocket? We want the home to get fixed at the end. So the, the contractor's license bond comes in in most residential projects. Even if there's a lawsuit that's filed, you'll oftentimes name the contractor's bond because it guarantees a standard of care from the contractor. And they need to follow the business and professions code uh, as outlined in the in the bond provisions. And so it's an added level of protection to where it might not be worth suing otherwise. And just for our listeners' benefit, uh, folks you're listening to, 
Slow County Public Policy and the Law. And we've got Dan Knight, who's a, not only a expert attorney at uh, construction defect <laughs> law. Uh, he's a building contractor, and he's actually served as an expert witness. Dan, for for the benefit of the listeners, when you talk about the business and profession code standards mm-hmm. that have to be followed, what are those? Sure. So, so contractors are bound to follow standards of care. And if you were in here, you would be seeing me do big, big air quotes of standard of care because whenever you ask, well, what is that? Somebody else that knows what the standard of care says, that depends. It depends on the building code. Well, it depends sounds, on the contract. That's very lawyer-like, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, well what, what, why make what, it easy when it what, could be hard, What does right? it depend on? <laughs> sure. So so if let's say that there's a you ask for a level four drywall finish, you'll have these different standards where it says it must not deviate out of plane. You must not, you know, beyond a certain amount or there might not or it can't have a deviation in texture. And then you have a level five, which is a little bit nicer, a little bit flatter. The average homeowner, the average, sadly, contractor I've talked to couldn't tell you the difference between that. So it usually requires an expert witness coming in, somebody that is, let's say, done drywall for this example for 40 years, has quote-unquote seen everything, or an architect that's very familiar with these different edicts and promulgations to say it meets that standard or it doesn't. And where are these promulgations reposed? Sure, sure. So you have the the building code that's generally mm-hmm. concerned with health and safety standards, but not mm-hmm. necessarily with aesthetics. You have different drywall associations. And then in the bigger cities, you'll have a, a Bay Area drywall association, or you'll have a, a statewide uh, drywall association. And I'm using this example because 45 minutes before I came here, I was discussing a drywall matter on these exact issues with one of the subcontractors that I'm uh, defending. And so then you bring all of that evidence in, you bring uh-huh. in the expert witness, and let's say we're, we're in the bonding phase, you give their report to the bonding company, and the bonding company says, contract said level four, expert says that it was only to a level three, we needed to compensate them for the different difference, the benefit of the bargain that they didn't get. So contractor will get some for giving them a level three, but they need to be paid back for not getting it to a level four or something like that. Hmm. So it's a lot of... Uh, Introducing facts to the either the trier of fact or the adjuster or the arbitrator, and then having a third party opinion on on what was reasonable in the context. So we call it the battle of the experts most of the time. We do all of the the civil procedure, the filings, and then people that have built for the last thirty years argue about whether what the contractor did was reasonable or not. Huh. Okay. Um, now, a lot of this has to do with. Uh how far the dispute might go. Do, do you find that these things go to court frequently, or is it usually settled after the the uh, bonding agency or the insurance company uh, gets involved? That depends, Stu. <laughs> Another lawyer-like answer. <laughs> so, so what I find the best way to proceed, uh-huh. uh, if you have a contractor that has been communicative, you have a homeowner that's being reasonable, and and I admonish my homeowners a lot of the times, we do a lot of plaintiff's work, just because you don't understand what they're saying doesn't mean that they're wrong. 
we need to do more research. Let's see if this is, if what they're saying is just said in some technical speak, but it's really what you're asking for and make sure there's even a dispute going on and it's not a miscommunication. And if we approach it with that kind of um, understanding that we're trying to reach a resolution rather than trying to get as much money as possible, most of the time you can just talk it out and I say, go get a piece of boysenberry pie. Uh, you can't be mad when you have pie. Uh, now let's say, let's say there's been a breakdown in communication and they're actually exchanging letters. They've retained an attorney, but a piece of litigation hasn't been, uh, been filed. A lot of times you'll clear up those disputes uh, at that point because it gets everybody's attention that we are on the brink of having legal work done here. Everybody knows that that's not free it's much better for us to talk it out. And then there's the next level of, we actually make a demand. Uh, in California, there's SB 800, Senate Bill 800. It's the builder's right to repair legislation, for yeah. example. Mm -hmm. uh, Pre-litigation procedures before, uh, I mean, there's some qualifications, but mainly it's for people that build a home that becomes a product. In other words, uh, you have to make a demand before you actually file the lawsuit and mm -hmm. the uh, contractor has a certain amount of time to cure or remedy the defect, don't they, before you can bring a lawsuit? Exactly. And, and, and in that specific you know, SB 800, you make a demand, you, you serve a notice of claim, they have to respond to it within 10 days, it has to be in writing, they have to demand an inspection. After they do the follow-up, or I'm sorry, the visual inspection, they can demand further inspection. It has specific timelines that you have to do all of these things. And if you comply with those, again, air quotes, if the contractor comes back with a reasonable offer to repair, a lot of times you can accept that without ever filing a piece of litigation. The builder has, has two options. They can repair it themselves or they can write you a, money, or a check. They can give you money, wash their hands of it, and walk away. So it, it offers a so, lot of so quasi-legal. So you can pay for somebody else to repair it. Uh, and frequently, by that time, the uh, owner of the property has lost faith in the contractor. And they'd rather have somebody else make that repair. Is that right? I've never had one time when the contractor didn't want to just write a check because it's usually coming from in the, the insurance company and the homeowner doesn't want the contractor there anyways. Right. Well, folks, we're coming up on a hard break. This is Slow County Public Policy and the Law. I'm your host, Stu Jenkins. We're talking with attorney Dan Knight. Now, be sure and stay tuned Saturday, October 9th at 10 a.m. to hear Jerry Flanagan, president of Consumer Watchdog, talk with me about their ballot initiative to guarantee citizen access to local government records. Then, listen to lawyer Mike Nolan tell us about other important propositions you'll see on your next statewide ballot. Stay tuned, because we're going to have a lot more to talk about after the news with Dan Knight. We're going to get into permitting. <laughs> this is your host, Stu Jenkins, at Slow County Public Policy and the Law. Mm -hmm. 